Bible teaches that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What if a person believed in Christ as a child but doesn't believe as an adult? Welcome to Issues in Education. I'm Bob Boyd. And I'm Jerry Boyd. Our guest is evangelist and TV show host Ray Comfort. And he's written more than 40 books including How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There. Ray, you cite this statistic that 88% of children raised in evangelical Christian homes leave the church by age 18 and never return. Where did you get this statistic? That's from the Southern Baptists. 88% of children raised in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18 years, never to return. Well, now, do you suppose one of the reasons might be the fact that they are in public school, or does that have nothing to do with it? I think it has a lot to do with it. It's ungodly counselors letting the ungodly raise the children of Israel, and there's something radically wrong. People say, I'll just send my kids to school, he'll be a witness in school, and they send a little flickering light among the darkness. It just blows it out. We need to rethink things. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, things were different. When a child comes to Christ, he needs to exercise biblical repentance and understand the cross and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. And it's not a matter of just, quote, asking Jesus into your heart. Because there's such a thing as false conversion. Jesus spoke of it in the parable of the sower. And on the day of judgment, the true and the false will be separated. And it really is easy to get a false convert with children. You can stick me in a room with 100 kids, and I guarantee I can get you 95 decisions in three minutes. All I do is say, hey, kids, how do you get to heaven? Anyone know? That's right, Tommy. You give your heart to Jesus. Anybody here want to go to heaven? Well, 95% of you. Who then wants to give their hearts to Jesus? Noamo, you get those decisions, but you've failed to do what the Bible says and bring the knowledge of sin. What I'm hearing you say then is that there's a great majority of young people who call themselves Christians, and yet they're really false converts? Yeah, there's a mass of them. See, what will happen when Tommy gives his heart to Jesus at the age of six or seven, he'll gladly go along to Sunday school and listen to stories about Jonah and the whale and David and Goliath until he begins to notice the shape of the 12, 13-year-old girl sitting next to him as he hits puberty years. And suddenly, girls and the world looks far more exciting than David and Goliath. And he goes into the world, leaves the church, but his heart hasn't been converted. He's unregenerate. He's merely made an intellectual decision and not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, which is the absolute necessity for true conversion. You cited the figure that 88% of the young people leave the church before high school graduation and never return. It's interesting that there are 90% of the Christians are in public schools. Is there any kind of correlation between that 90% that are in public schools and the 88% that leave the church? Well, I don't know if there's a correlation, but it's a tragedy that we let the world educate our children. I took my kids out of public school when my oldest was about seven. I think he came home from school and said, Dad, they're teaching the occult at school. So I went to the principal and spoke to him eye to eye. And he just says, oh, yeah, around Halloween we teach the occult like we teach Christianity around Christmas and Easter. And so I just took my kids out of school in faith and, and I put them in a Christian school. And the, and the wonderful thing about bringing them out of a secular school, we didn't have the money to do it, but God supplied the money within 24 hours of making that decision. Well, I, what could be more important to the church than the future? I mean, these young souls are vitally important to the future of the church, and yet the church doesn't seem alarmed. They don't seem to be doing anything to stop this hemorrhaging of our future. Well, I don't think church leaders see the problem. You've got to pull back and say, man, something is radically wrong. We see from statistics that 62% of Americans say that Jesus Christ is very important to them and they've been born again. And yet 91% lie regularly. Only 2%, according to Bill Bright in his book, The Coming Revival, regularly share their faith with others. If you ignore a drowning child, say some neighbor's child falls into your swimming pool, 
and you say, oh, I just want to polish my car and I can't go and save the kid because it'll ruin the shine. Well, you're violating civil law. It's called depraved indifference if you don't save that child. Depraved is as low as you can go, and indifference means I couldn't care less. And it seems that the majority of the contemporary church are guilty of the sin of depraved indifference. It's as low as you can go when you say, I don't care if people go to hell, I couldn't care less. No concern for them, and it means we've got a heart of stone if we have thoughts like that. The problem is is that we've forgotten to evangelize biblically, to do what Jesus did. Well, you know, another thing that's missing in the church, which ties in with all this, is the preaching of hell. I mean, you rarely hear about hell or the fear of God is to hate evil. There's none of this in the church. It's all heaven and wonderful, and God is really sweet and good, and everybody's going to heaven. Let me explain the difference between what I'm saying and hellfire preaching. If I was to burst into your studio and say, you two are under arrest, you're going to prison for a long time, and I as an officer of the law arrested you and thrust you into prison, what I've done is unreasonable. It doesn't make sense and you've got a right to be really angry at me. But instead if I come into your studio and says, I'm an officer of the law, we've found those 10,000 marijuana plants growing out the back of your yard. You've violated the law, you're going to prison for a long time. Now what I'm doing makes sense because I took the time to read the law to you. When we say to people, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell, that makes no sense. It's unreasonable and people have got a right to be offended by it. But instead if we say, this is the standard that God's going to judge us with on the day of judgment. He's so good he considers hatred to be murder, lust to be adultery. That's the standard. He's seen your thought life. That's the law. You've violated that law. And if all your secret sins come out on the day of judgment, you'll end up in hell. Now hell begins to make sense. And that's what I'm talking about, doing the same thing with your children, talking about God's perfect and holy standards, talking about our sinful nature in the light of that law, and realizing there is a day of justice and that God is so good he's going to punish murderers and rapists. And suddenly the judgment of God becomes a good thing. If we were in a town out west 150 years ago and it was just lawless and people getting murdered and raped, and suddenly we heard of a good straight shooting marshal was going to come to town and clean it up, good people of that town would rejoice. Evil people would be cringing. And the Bible says the hills burst into joy. Why? For he's coming to judge the earth. So that day will come when God manifests his goodness and punishes all wrongdoing and only guilty sinners cringe. But those who are righteous in Christ can have confidence on that day. How can a parent know that their child's conversion is for real and not just a false conversion then? Look for fruit of repentance, fruit of righteousness, fruit of praise, fruit of thanksgiving. Does the child have love and goodness and gentleness and meekness and patience and the things that, that manifest in the fruit of God's Spirit in the life of the believer? And a hunger for the Word and a desire to do the will of God. All these are things that say someone has been regenerated. And it's not easy to be saved. There's got to be genuine contrition and repentance, godly sorrow which works repentance. Well, when you think about it, Jesus didn't say, raise your hand or just say this little prayer after me. He went to these men and he said, follow me. And that was a 24-7 type job to be his disciple. And in fact, they had to give up everything they had. So for us to say, well, just say this little prayer, Johnny, and you'll be in, you'll go to heaven. That may really be leading the kid into becoming immunized against the true gospel and, like you said, a false conversion. And that word immunize is so true because you say to these kids when they're teenagers, you had a Christian background, oh, yeah, I went to Sunday school, I gave my heart to Jesus. And they're what we call bitter backsliders. They are bitter, but they're not backsliders because they haven't slid forward in the first place. They had a false conversion. We just got a letter the other day, and the guy says, by keeping them in a Christian school or homeschooling them, you're keeping them in a bubble. Sending them into the public school is on the 
cutting edge of evangelism. That doesn't hold water when you look at it in the light of Scripture. The Bible says children ought to be innocent toward that which is evil. I love it when a kid's brought up in a Christian home, taught godly principles, and then he goes out and evangelizes, as he should, and they're the ones that become great witnesses. I mean, it's great to have a strong Christian kid in a school, but I would hesitate to send my kids to a public school, and I'm very evangelistically inclined because of the terrible things that they get taught, the godlessness, and school shootings and group pressure, the music they're subjected to. I'd far rather do what the Bible says, train them up in the way they should go. And the way they should go is a way of godliness, having godly counsel, not listening to the ungodly, as it says in Psalm 1. When you think about a a kid going through puberty, girl or a boy, and they're in an environment where people wear skimpy stuff, I mean, you're putting them in ways of temptation. I, I just don't think that's a good area for kids to be in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a mature adult, but still when I dress in the morning, I don't dress for myself. I'm thinking to myself, if I put this shirt on, what are people going to think? How much more when a kid's 10, 11, 12, in a secular environment, and all their friends are pushing them to do things they know are wrong? And you'll do anything to be accepted at that age. You'll listen to certain types of music. You'll want to dress a certain type of thing. you want to put rings through your nose, rings through your ears. You want to put makeup on as a guy and listen to music that's godless and demonic. So what we've got to do is rethink this whole education of our children in that light. Bad peer pressure can really corrupt good morals, as the proverb says. Yeah, and we've got to be so careful of who our kids' friends are, because that's what can corrupt good morals. Find out who your kids are friends with, and you won't if they're spending all the time at a public school. And then even, we were told when the kids were little, be careful, because when they're teenagers, they'll go through a rebellious stage. Well, it never happened. Our children who work for a ministry, they're now grown up, never gave us one moment serious grief. And I believe it's because we instigated biblical principles. We trained them up in godliness. We had family devotions every night. Okay, reading time, and for about 15 or 20 minutes, we'd gather around God's Word and pray together, talk with our kids and communicate with them and find out what they believed and what they wanted to do and who their friends were. That's a time of establishing a relationship with your children that's going to be a lifelong relationship. Okay, then somebody might say, well, could a parent do what you did in having daily devotions and send them to a public school? Well, it's between them and God, but personally, I wouldn't do it because of the principles of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And when you send a child to a public school, they're subjected to godless counsel day after day after day. So I would far rather send them to a Christian school, but I'd rather have them trained up in godliness. How do they counter the teaching of evolution at school? Evolution's taught as science. Yeah, well, I can prove God's existence in about 30 seconds. See that painting over there? Yeah. How do you know there was a painter? Well, the painting is proof there was a painter. You can have paintings that just happen by themselves. How do you know there's a creator? Look at creation. Creation proves the existence of a creator. Well, you are really Mr. Evangelism, and here you are saying not to send Christian kids to public schools to be salt and light, to be the evangelist that so many people use as an excuse to put their kids in public schools. Yeah, it's my conviction when the secular world were trying to poison my children's minds, and it was grieving my children that I pulled them out of secular school and put them in a Christian environment. It was 25 years ago I sent them to a Christian school, but I've been to Christian schools and spoken to 250 kids and said, okay, kids, how many of you know the Ten Commandments? And you could say them off one by one. I'll give you $10. And the kid stands up and he says, yes, I can do it. I says, okay, go ahead. And he says, frogs, lice, 
flies. I said, that's plague, sit down. And none of the kids in the Christian school even knew the Ten Commandments, and that's the basis of the Word of God. So I love the way homeschooling is growing, and my grandchildren have been homeschooled, and they, they're turning out great, and they're not being sheltered. They go everywhere. I mean, not stuck in a room at home all day. They're outgoing, confident, they love the Lord, and they're ignorant of a lot of the filth that's out there. They wouldn't even know about demonic rock music and all this stuff. It reminds me of the scripture where it says to be wise concerning good and simple concerning evil, which means don't delve into it or don't be surrounded by it. Bring out the biblical understanding of God's character and nature. Don't let them have a concept of God that's erroneous, like God is like a big Santa Claus and he'll always make you happy. No, that's not the God of the Bible. Jesus said, fear not him who has power to kill your body and afterwards can do no more, but fear him who has power to kill your body and cast your soul into hell. Someone killed your body, well, they could stick a knife through your chest. But Jesus said, don't fear him. Now, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Something that happened to me when I was 16. I found myself as a non-Christian young man at night outside a dance with a very pretty teenage girl. And as she was lying on her back and I was lying next to her, she said something that just made me die. She said, God's watching us. And that was like a huge bucket of ice water thrown all over me. And I didn't say, no, he's not. Because in my heart, even though I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, I knew that God was omniscient. I didn't say, yeah, he's watching us, but what I intend to do in my red-blooded mind won't offend him at all. No, no, I knew he had a moral standard, and I knew I was wanting to violate that moral standard, and I knew in my heart he held me accountable. And so the fear of the Lord, that conscience that I had, kept me from making a terrible mistake and perhaps destroying two lives that night. So what we want to do is instill enough fear of the Lord into our children so that if they find themselves lying in long grass one night with a member of the opposite sex, they'll have enough fear of the Lord to do the right thing. Great, and you weren't even a Christian. Isn't that weird? That's amazing. (laughs) The third commandment says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. It's good to talk to your children about the way men and women blaspheme. The world uses the name of the God who gave them life. It's a filth word substantiates the truth that Jesus brought out, that humanity hates God without cause. Because what better evidence is there that humanity hates God than to use his name as a cuss word to express disgust? I mean, Hitler's name wasn't despised enough to use as a cuss word. So when the children hear the world use God's name as a cuss word as they mingle with the world, as they grow up, it'll confirm to them the truth of Scripture that humanity hates God without cause. They don't hate their own concept of God but the biblical revelation of God is abhorrent to them. We should fear God enough. I mean, godly Jews won't even speak God's name. They won't write it because they hold it in such high esteem. And yet people have no fear of God, and that's because it's not being preached from the pulpits. And the scriptures pinpoint why his name is despised. He said, the world hates me because I testify of its deeds that they're evil. Well, it's interesting. You talk about the importance of God's law, the Ten Commandments, and and sin, and creating a fear of the Lord to keep us from sinning. Yeah, but I think it's really important for people to understand why God gave His commandments. It was for a mirror that we might see that we need His forgiveness. When you and I get up in the mornings, one of the first things we do is go to the mirror. And we do that because we want to see what damage has been done during the night. (laughs) Standing here style, pale face and puffy eyes, we say, boy, I better clean up before I go public. 
So we go from the mirror to the water to wash. And once we see ourselves in truth, we go from the mirror of God's law to the water of the blood of Christ to wash. And so what we need to do is turn the mirror upon our children, teach them the law, as Deuteronomy 6 says, when we lie down with them, when we walk with them, when we talk with them. Why? Because it shows a child God's holy standard. And as he, at the age of 10, 11, 12, begins to feel sin arise in his heart, especially sexual sin, it'll bring him to the foot of the bloodstained cross. It was like the woman caught in the act of adultery. She would violate the seventh commandment. They were going to stone her to death under the law. All the law said to her was, die. And it sent her to the feet of the Savior. And that's the function of the law, to show us that we're under God's wrath and bring us to the foot of Christ. What do you say to those who say, well, your religion may be good for you, but for me, I'm more like a free thinker. I like to learn about all kinds of ideas. Well, what you've got to do is just appeal to their will to live. Every single human being has a will to live. You may have seen on television about four or five months ago, a young Korean guy that terrorists got hold of, and they said, we're going to cut off his head tomorrow. And he just stood there and looked at the camera and says, I don't want to die. And every human being empathized with him because each of us have got written on our heart, I don't want to die. God's given us a will to live. I was witnessing to a guy, and the plane went down very radically, and everyone went on the plane went, ah! It gave the guy I was witnessing to a real fright, and he listened to everything I said after that. <laughs> but everybody has that will to live, and I, I just say to people, what do you think happens after somebody dies? Oh, you're dead, you're dead, or I think I'll go to heaven, there's no hell. Go straight to the conscience and say, well, are you a good person? You don't even mention God. They say, I'm a good person. They can ask you some questions. Have you ever lied or stolen? And then say, if God was to judge you by the Ten Commandments on the Day of Judgment. And they say, well, if he did, I'd be guilty. They say, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, if he did that, I'd go to hell. They say, well, man, listen to your good sense. If there's one chance in a million that Jesus Christ has abolished death, you owe it to your good sense to listen. Would you sell an eye for a million dollars? And most people say, no, never. No. Well, see how precious your eyes are to you. And yet your eyes are just windows that your soul looks out of. How much more valuable is your life? And you're saying, I don't care if I go to hell, if I lose my soul. Of course you've got a will to live. Listen to it. Yeah, that's good. So you'd use the same answer then for those who are humanists who say that they're their own savior. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a man on a plane who really believes he doesn't need a parachute when he jumps 25,000 feet. He's just going to flap his arms. Yeah, right. Because he doesn't understand the consequences of breaking the law of gravity. And so you've got to push his nose against the window of the plane and say, look, if you jump without a parachute, you're going to go splat. And what you've got to do is push someone's nose up to eternity and say, we're talking about your eternal salvation. You have to face a law harsher than the law of gravity. You need to put on Jesus Christ. You came from Australia. Did you come as a missionary because you felt like America's a mess? <laughs> no, actually, I came from New Zealand. Australia is a small Sorry. island coast of New Zealand. <laughs> it's sinned against heaven, but there is forgiveness for you. <laughs> well, I came to America because we're invited to come here, and I already had in my heart that God was going to open up doors to come to the United States. So I'm so proud to be an American citizen, humbly proud, because this nation has such a wonderful godly heritage. And I'm just so grateful that God is using our ministry to reach so many. Do you have a copy of your book there? No, I haven't read the book. Oh. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> I thought you wrote the book. Yeah, I wrote the book. A whole book's written in a New Zealand accent, which makes it unique. <laughs> okay, now how can people get your book, How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There by Ray Comfort? Yes, it's livingwaters.com. Okay. Livingwaters.com. All right. Okay, Ray Comfort, thank you so much for being on Issues in Education today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, right. you're a real comfort. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
Evangelist Ray Comfort's been telling us how vitally important it is to save our own church children. If you don't care that almost 9 out of 10, 88% of children are being lost, then you're not seeing things from God's point of view. There is nothing more important than the souls of these children. What can parents do? Ray said, teach your children about who God really is. Don't just give them the false idea that God is a man upstairs, a Santa Claus who just pours out blessings from heaven. Teach your children the fear of the Lord, because without a fear of the Lord, there's no fear of the consequences of sin. There's no fear of hell, and there's no restraint against evil. Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and the fear of the Lord leads to life. So if you love your precious children, teach them the fear of the Lord. It'll save them from sin and establish a healthy conscience. Teach your children to love and trust God. Scripture says God is love. And specifically that God so loves you and your kids that he gave his one and only son so that by believing in him, you will have everlasting life. And that's the gospel. Here's a cut from Ray Comfort's movie called The Atheist Illusion. The full movie is available to watch free of charge on Ray Comfort's website, livingwaters.com. Do you believe in God's existence? God itself can't be described as a person or a being. It's more of an all-encompassing energy. You know in your heart God exists. I know you know for many reasons. When the Bible calls an atheist a fool, it doesn't mean a clown or a court jester. When it calls him a fool, it's because he's denying the inner light that God's given to every man. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened and they embraced a lie rather than the truth. They believed a lie rather than the truth, which is what atheism is. It's a lie. It's either nothing made everything or something made everything. Some things made everything, not something in particular, not one specific. What you do is you deny the existence of God because it gives you license to do those things without a feeling of guilt. If God does exist, you're in big trouble. So what you do is deny his existence. Am I touching your raw nerve? Am I close? In a way, yeah. None of us are really sure of anything that happens after we're dying. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely sure, 100%. Look at the order of everything. We're on a great big piece of dirt flying through space at 63,000 miles an hour, circling the sun once a year. Seasons come round, winter, spring, summer, autumn, every year. Everything's clockwork. We can predict the sunrise 100 years from now to the very second because there's such order in nature. Acknowledging that God exists is the first step. You know the Bible's full of scientific facts that weren't discovered till thousands of years later? I didn't know that. Yeah, it says the earth hangs upon nothing in the book of Isaiah. Okay. It's written 800 years B.C., which shows divine inspiration, because how could they know in those days about the earth's free float in space? If he judges you by the Ten Commandments on Judgment Day, do you think you'd be innocent or guilty? Guilty. It's likely guilty. That's everybody does bad stuff, so I would be guilty of those things. Heaven or hell? Hell. Hell. Well, if there is a hell, I would say I would be making my way down there. Does that concern you? A little bit, yeah. Using God's name as a cuss word? I would go to hell. Does that concern you? It does, but I hope that if there is a God, that he would be understanding that I'm doing my best to try and be the best person I can every day. It's like standing in front of a judge and say, Judge, you raped that woman, but I'm really trying to be the best I can. It's already done. Yeah. The judge is going to throw the book at him. Would you go to heaven or hell? Hell. Does that concern you? If it was real. It is real. Just think of the complexity of life. You're not even in control of your life. You can't stop yourself blinking, thinking, breathing, dreaming. Your bodily functions happen irrespective of your will. You can't help but blink and breathe. All these things are set in motion by God. Now, do you know what God did for guilty sinners so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Any idea? don't think I know. I don't know. No. Would you mind telling me? <laughs> Hinduism can't help you. Being religious can't help you. Being good can't help you. You are hopeless. The only thing that can help you is God's mercy, and that was extended through the cross. 
through the Savior. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're in court, even though you're guilty, if someone pays your fine, the judge can say, someone's paid his fine, he's out of here. And he can do that, which is just. Well, the Bible says God can let you live forever because Jesus paid the fine in full on that cross. When he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. That means God can legally grant you the gift of everlasting life. And then he died and then rose from the dead three days later. And what you have to do to have your case dismissed, to walk out of God's courtroom and be gifted with everlasting life because God's merciful, is repent of your sins and trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. Good works are irrelevant. We can't bribe God to forgive our sins and let us live. All we can do is throw ourselves on the mercy of the judge and say, God, forgive me. And the Bible says God is rich in mercy and he provided a savior. And he'll forgive you in a second because of what Jesus did on the cross. And this is more serious than a heart attack. So please don't put it off. Just give it serious thought as you lay your head on your pillow tonight. Listen to your heart beat in your ear and realize if that heart stops, you're suddenly in eternity facing a holy God without a savior. It's because there's nothing more important than where you'll spend eternity. Are you now no longer an atheist? I would say no. I'm open. Do you now believe in God's existence? Yes, I do. I'm no longer an atheist. So, Andrew, if you were to die today and God gave you justice, you'd end up in hell. There are two things you have to do to be saved. You've got to repent and trust in Jesus. When are you going to do that? Almost immediately. You serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Can I pray with you? Of course. Father, I pray for Augusto that this day he'll truly repent, be genuinely sorry for his sins, and trust in you, and pass from death to life because of your mercy. Ray Comfort's movie called The Atheist Delusion. The full movie is available to watch free of charge on Ray Comfort's website, livingwaters.com. John 4.35, Jesus' words are as true today as ever. Open your eyes, Jesus said, and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1783, True or False Conversions. That's number 1783, True or False Conversions. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. And please give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit.